Don't punt to Geo, June 19 recruiting edition. My name is Chad Floyd. Since last we spoke about UNC football recruiting, the Heels have five new commitments, and we are going to talk about them. I am joined by Akil Garuparan. He uh, was with me on the last one, so he's up to speed with everything that's happening. Akil, what's going on? How's it going, Chad? Good. Right. Um, that was that was the first uh, dry open I've done without you know trying to plan it out a little bit, and I'm not super proud of it. So you know I might edit that in post, but you know we're we're doing all right. But uh, Champagne, Illinois, treating you well here in June. Yeah. So I'm actually on an internship. I'm in New York for the summer, so it's been pretty cool. Well, that's pretty awesome. Um, coming from the Northeast as recently as a couple of months ago, and now joining us in the great state of Arizona, Jake Lawrence, also joining us for the June football recruiting podcast. Jake, what's up, my man? Uh, enjoying this wonderful, wonderful Arizona weather. Uh, really glad to be out of the Northeast. So uh, uh, that's pretty much where my life stands right now. I mean, 105 degrees with no humidity is really not that bad. No, especially when you're coming from, you know, New Jersey where the summer lasts about a month and the winters uh, last about 14 months. You can't ever really tell the difference. So uh, it's uh, we, we've been enjoying it quite a bit. I saw you tweet out that survey that said uh, New Jersey has one of the highest uh, rates of happy, happy living or something. That Whoever did that, that was a garbage survey. That – blew my mind that place is terrible that that was like the uh new york post saying that new york was the new barbecue revolution place (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yes exactly yeah i i could not i I saw that that akil i could not believe it and chad that's an excellent comparison uh i mean it's almost like there's some kind of bias that uh makes people in the tri-state area think that they're living the best life akil have you uh fallen victim to that yet Oh, absolutely. Um, almost everyone else here, like, in the internship is from New York, and it's just a lot of people, like, just unable to imagine what life could be like outside the tri-state area. It's ridiculous. Just it's like while people we're from on... Maryland. I'm sorry, no, like, I went to school with a bunch of people from Maryland, and I don't know what it is about Maryland, but those people are way too happy to be from the state of Maryland. Be proud of where you're from, but, like, other than like crab cakes and maybe Cal Ripken, I don't know what's up there and they will never shut up about being from Maryland and there's nothing there. I don't understand why Maryland people like their flag so much. Like it's a complete mess. Right? Like it's like they, they're, they're proud of like the most random weird things and no one else can ever relate. And they, then they look at you like you're the weird one and you're like, no man, go back to Maryland. Such an oddly shaped state too. Like, I mean, if, if you're from Maryland, there's a good chance that you're like five minutes from Virginia or West Virginia or Pennsylvania or Delaware. I mean, it's, it's just a whole mess. Like the state's weird looking. The flag's weird looking. Um, crab cakes are pretty good, but I mean, I wouldn't want to wear my, uh, state pride on my, uh, sleeve because of crab cakes. Boy, they do. I don't get it. Oh man. Well, um, I guess that's as good as a spot as any to segue to UNC's recent uh, football recruiting successes. <laughs> as we mentioned, bordering the state of West Virginia, UNC tonight, actually, before we recorded, got a commitment from the number one player in the state of West Virginia, Sean Martin. He's a defensive lineman, 
I can confirm that West Virginia and Maryland share a border, so that was not the worst segue ever. But whereas we have breaking news, let's talk about some Sean Martin. Um, 6'6", 260, like I said, he is the uh, number one player in the state of West Virginia, actually marking the third time in eight years. UNC has pulled the number one guy out of the wild and wonderful state. Akil, how big is this just getting the defensive line recruiting kind of on solid footing? Um, that's, it, it's a big deal for sure. Um, he's a solid player and I think he's gonna, it, it's gonna take some time, but he's gonna find his footing in Jay Bateman's scheme because he's built like a 3-4 end and he plays standing up. So he's got a lot of positional versatility the way Jay Bateman likes. Um, so it's kind of setting a tone, I think, for the class of like what he wants defensive end to look like and then just kind of with Mac Brown's staff's first overall class coming in, setting a prototype and getting the position rolling, obviously, in preparation for Des Evans. I think it's a big deal, yeah. Indeed. Jake, uh, in, any initial takeaways? Um, no, not really. Uh, he's, <laughs> I mean, he, he saw a number one from West Virginia, but the big thing is he's the second defensive line commit. Uh, commitment and uh, now that's two defensive line commitments in in, in the last week or so uh, and that's really the big thing is that's we know that's going to be a weakness going forward we know there's not a whole lot uh, there for the next two to three years from what we're looking at unless they do some rearranging within the scheme and, and maybe some position changes uh, so right now they've got to get depth on the defensive line if they can't get a star a star talent um, and I, I think that, that with him and AJ uh, I guess it's Betty from from last week. Uh, I think those two are, are two good cornerstone cornerstones to to start the the defensive line under under Bateman. Yeah, I think just with seventeen and eighteen year old kids, they're going to look at the recruiting rankings and not be scared away by those commitments. At the same time, I think both of these guys are probably slightly underranked. Uh, Martin, in particular, just being from West Virginia, there are certain states where recruiting analysts are a little bit reticent to tag a guy with a fourth or fifth star. Um, West Virginia had their first five-star recruit ever last year in that offensive lineman whose name escapes me. Uh, he was former teammates of Billy Ross, who UNC, like I said, pulled the – Billy Ross was the number one guy of West Virginia a couple of years ago. Um, so it's a very weird pipeline that UNC has going there, but Martin just has the tools. Um, I've seen that he's really technique savvy, and at 6'6", 260 as a rising senior in high school, you can kind of project him to be a five technique um, or, and, and I'm losing the terminology a little bit of uh, Bateman's scheme as we do this on the fly, but, you know, he, he's a guy that you can kind of plug and play depending on uh, who else you get, be it Kedrick Bigley-Jones or Desmond Evans. So I, I really like that pickup. And while we're on the subject, you know, let's uh, reverse it about a week and a half. The, the heels – Went up in that direction and got A.J. Beatty from uh, Pittsburgh as well. Another guy, you know, not quite as filled out as Martin, but just a guy that you can project to three or four positions along that defensive line, maybe two or three. But Beatty was ridiculously productive last year. I want to say he had like 11 and a half sacks. Uh, Jake, we'll go to you first. Did you get to do a little bit more prep on him? Because the Martin news just broke like an hour ago. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the, the sack total for Beatty, and Martin had 17 sacks last year. So I think you hit the nail on the head that both these guys are probably a little bit underranked. 
or, or underrated. Um, and look, football is weird. Recruiting is weird. Rankings are weird. And these are always fluid going into the senior season because we're still in the middle of the summer camp months. And, and a guy like Beatty, for example, he, he's not done a lot of camps. Um, if any camps really, uh, and he hasn't really chased the, the, the evaluations. So, you know, you're looking at a guy that currently is ranked, uh, in the top 10 in the state of Pennsylvania. I mean, that's a big state and that produces football talent. So you're, so if you're telling me that the, the, the number seven guy in the state of Pennsylvania is just a mid-level three star, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical and expect that to rise a little bit. So I think you're going to see both these guys, uh, uh, benefit from, from their senior year. Uh, once they get back out in front and analysts can get their eyes on them. So, uh, and, but I agree with you also about the versatility piece. I mean, Martin's 6'6", 260, Beatty's 6'5", 250, uh, and they can, they, they can move around a little bit. And so what you're seeing is, uh, whereas the Fedora, uh, era, they would kind of, and we've talked about it before, Chad, they would kind of pigeonhole a player based on what they thought he should be. And you were seeing the Mac Brown staff take talent and they're going to find a way to make it work once they get on campus. Um, and that's, that's a very different mentality. Uh, and so that's why, you, that's what you have to remember when, when, when we look at some of these players that are coming in. Man, th- there are two more guys that we've got to get to that I was going to absolutely cook on that, uh, point there. So I'll, we will, I'll hold we, off we, we will save you, that you for later. That. Oh man. Yeah. That, that, that's going to be my, uh, hot take brigade here in about 15 or 20 minutes. But Akil, I mean, you're looking at two guys from, you know, roughly the same part of the country have offers. Uh, I, I know Martin had an offer from Penn State, but uh, both of them had the Pitts, the West Virginias, the Marylands, and then a lot of ACC schools, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, NC State, uh, Georgia Tech, I believe, Miami had an offer out to one of them. Um, th- these are guys that are, you know, not your elite tier, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia uh, type recruits, but they are not slouches at all. So do you agree kind of with the premise that they might be a little bit underranked or you want to just let that play out over the next five years? Um, I, yeah, I'm on board with it. Yeah. Um, Beatty has a fairly impressive offer list. Um, and like the amount of praise that was kind of that you see saw in headlines, even if they weren't completely available for Beatty, like the lies, the rating of a guy who's like a, lowish level three star and I think his ratings even gone up in the week since he committed to UNC so it looks like that's already starting to happen with some eyes on him now that he's committed to a, an ACC school and for Sean Martin I, I absolutely believe that that uh, the rankings guys haven't seen much of West Virginia tape and from what I saw of him like he looks like a guy he produced like a guy who should be mentioned up there with like guys rank a little bit higher maybe not like not like you said not the top classes but certainly something that makes them the caliber of class that Mac Brown's trying to put together like a guy that ends up maybe in the top 15 or so I think they're absolutely deserving of that kind of recognition yeah hey all I'm saying is a consolation prize if for some reason UNC doesn't land Des Evans uh Randy Moss put up ridiculous numbers in the state of West Virginia and he turned out okay so I'm I'm, I'm going to be the uh Foremost, Sean Martin, Stan, I think. Um, speaking of kind of the positional versatility angle of it, UNC got a commitment at the Showtime camp on Saturday from Jefferson Boaz. He's a 6'8", 230 guy from uh, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Um, UNC Legacy had offers from App State and uh, programs in the Sun Belt and CUSA to play quarterback. 
apparently worked out at the Showtime camp as a tight end. And for me, I just can't really see him being on the offense, what with uh, already having two quarterbacks and two tight ends commit in this class. Uh, Akil, how do you project Jefferson Boaz? Because like Jake said, I mean, this is a guy that has the athleticism, has very intriguing size and could play a number of positions. I mean, you could bulk him up and put him at offensive tackle. That's what I'm thinking, honestly, is if, or like maybe just fight it out at tight end because that position is a little bit barren after this year, but I could easily see him putting on like an extra 30 pounds and playing offensive tackle. It seems like he's done that a little bit in high school. I mean, he has to over how big he is. So that's probably the best, like the easiest way to playing time for him. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, situation. And Jake, you know, where where do you see him playing? Because I can see him on either line, um, pretty much any position that has his hand in the dirt. Um, or he could be Malik Hornsby insurance if uh, the first quarterback to commit decides to go elsewhere. Because we still got to talk about the second one after this. Yeah, I, I think. I mean. When you're talking about high school guys, and he's played everywhere, he's played tight end, he's played D end, he's played quarterback. I think he's the starting quarterback right now for East Surrey um, heading into this season. Uh, he plays all over the place. Typically, a guy like that with that size, um, he's going to end up in the trenches or in the extreme cases uh, at tight end. And I think you're looking at a future lineman of some degree, um, uh, some degree there. And uh, I think that's kind of where you have to project it. He could be insurance. I mean. Maybe a third string quarterback in an emergency, maybe he gets there and he's really, really good. But, you know, the, the, the one thing I'll caution is that when, when they're coming from these small schools, it's really hard to get a feel for, um, how much, uh, is their skill set, uh, and their potential and how much is just the fact that they can dominate, uh, small school North Carolina. Uh, and so that's kind of where I think that the question is going to come in and I think they'll figure out when he gets there. Uh, but right now I'd be surprised if anyone really has any idea where he's going to end up, but to have a six, eight, a uh, 230 pound guy who can easily put on another 20 or 30 pounds. That's a good problem to have. So it's, it's, it's a good pickup for Carolina. Yeah. And you, you bring a good point about the small school guys. And I think this probably applies to Martin a little bit as well, but you have camps now and you have enough film to where coaches are going to get a better chance to evaluate guys. Um, my one concern with Boaz in particular is the fact that he is a UNC legacy. Um, his dad played under Mac Brown, I believe, at UNC. So I wonder if there is, you know, if, if there is maybe a little bit of a uh, rush to the altar with him. But having said that, you know, that that's just pure speculation on my part because, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at his offer list, I mean, it's probably one of the weakest ones of the class, but it is by no means bad. So I, th- well, I no, think – Well, no, I mean, and, and he just picked up an offer from Virginia Tech. He held offers from Colorado, UVA, and – Someone else, I think, as well. So, uh, I think, I, I think you were absolutely right in that once these guys get out to these camps and start getting eyeballs on them, uh, I think you would have seen his offer list improve. Um, uh, whether or not we rushed it or North Carolina rushed it or he rushed it, uh, I think, I don't think that's a, an unfair question. Uh, but as of right now, we won't have to see that play out. So it won't be a big deal. Yeah. And I love a six, eight guy. You know, you look at a Calais Campbell who was at Miami and now in the NFL. Uh, you look at the guy, Charles, is it Charles Snowden? I, I, in my mind, I was about to say Edward Snowden, but I think that's a different topic. Um, <laughs> but guys who are six, seven, six, eight and 
just extremely disruptive on the defensive line. Um, with Wisdom Mazzaburo already, I guess now on campus at 6'8", 280, you have this guy, uh, you have Beatty and Martin who are both 6'5", 6'6". I mean, you're going to have to have basically Trevor Lawrence or Bust to throw the ball over these guys. I mean, that that is going to be a very rangy front four. And then if you look at like a Des Evans, who's another 6'5", 6'6", guy, I mean, that's going to be a tall defense. Assuming Des comes, yes. Yeah, um, Akil, kind of any, uh, closing thoughts on the defensive line-ish guys before we, uh, move on to another quarterback? Um, just, I guess that they're all, like, end types, too, I think. Um, if I remember right, I haven't really gotten any real defensive tackles, nose tackle type guys in this class, and that's something to look out for. Because it's probably a whole, it's a little bit of a hole on the roster right now. Uh, it's gonna be a constant essentially in any, any sort of front that Jay Bateman plays, so I guess just be on the lookout for a few more potential commitments that way rather than a, a lot of rush ends that we've seen so far. Yeah, and I don't really consider these guys Russians in a 3-4. You know, they, they're gonna hold up rush a little ends. bit more at the point of attack. Like five, yeah, like five times. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. I, like, yeah, the edge guys in a 3-4, not edge edge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I could see Martin ending up as a rush end, which, you know, Chris Collins for somebody this year as a comp, you know, he came he came onto campus at 6'5", 215, and was playing the uh, rush linebacker position in the spring game. So there, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, but I think that's what's going to be fascinating about Bateman's defense overall. And I'm not going to know how to project it until I see it in person a few times, but uh, it's... <laughs> It's going to be some fun. Um, Akil, while I've got you, just uh, your takes on Jacoby Criswell. Uh, number nine, I think he's rated as a pro-style passer. He might be rated. No, he's rated as a dual threat. Um, quarterback in the country from Arkansas, the second UNC football commit from old uh, Big 8 country there in Arkansas with Malik Hornsby hailing from Houston, Texas. I love this guy, man. Um, how about yourself? I, I like him a lot. I think uh, the last time we met, I said that I slightly preferred Malik Hornsby, and that might still be true, but I love them both. Chris Wells like really solidly built. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's got really good timing. Um, from a couple of camp videos I've seen, he threw a couple of gorgeous like sideline outbreaking routes that di- didn't look like they took effort. They went a lot faster than they should have given the motion. I think he's college ready right now and he's about to be a high school senior and yeah that's it like he's just got he just got all the tools and I think he's got knowledge of how to play the position. Yeah I think you and I talked about this just a little bit uh you know either offline or on uh that last podcast but whereas Hornsby just provides you unlimited upside you know his his film is very much Robert Griffin, Michael Vick level, you know, just depending on the competition. Chris Wells is just a guy who ha- has great pocket awareness and can make all the throws. And he's also built like Marquise Williams, but possesses accuracy that Marquise Williams, I could argue, never really uh developed at North Carolina. So he could be an absolute stud in this system. 
I, he's systemless, honestly. Like he, he could do, he, he could go just about anywhere and succeed from just the way he looks throwing the ball. Yeah. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on, uh, Chriswell and how, how it shapes up the rest of, uh, well, UNC's, uh, future of the quarterback position going into the next half decade? Um, I think my biggest concern is keeping both players, uh, recruited and signed through, uh, through the signing days. Uh, and a lot of that I think is going to depend on what takes place this year and if any of the current three transfer. So, I mean, I mean, it's a good problem to have. Uh, I hope that both of them do come, but I think that as, you know, recruiting is, is a cruel world and it's weird. Uh, and so keeping both of them, I think is going to be the tough part. Um, that being said, uh, they both bring different skill sets. And I think the thing that stands out to me about Chriswell is that he's about an inch and a half, two inches shorter than Hornsby. Uh, and he's almost 50 pounds heavier. Uh, which, I mean, he's just, he's just built like a tank. Uh, and, and you add that to, to his accuracy and, and the way he throws. Um, I don't think that North Carolina really loses out with one or the other. I mean, I think, I think it's a win-win for him regardless. Uh, and I'm excited about the, about the competition. Yeah. With Chriswell, I, I get the sense that he is absolutely just a Tar Heel through and through. Um, a guy that committed despite uh, a higher ranked quarterback already being on board. Um, was actively recruiting at the Showtime camp this week from, uh, people I know who were in attendance. And Forsby wasn't there, but with good reason. He was at a national track meet, which happened to be in Greensboro, and he's visited UNC twice this weekend. So I don't really have any reason to worry about either of the two of them not making it eventually to Chapel Hill at this point. But I have no worries about Chriswell not making it. I'll just, Put it that way. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And right. that, you know, kind of plays itself a little bit in a way too, because you do have the history of Mac Brown, uh, re- recruiting Robert Griffin as a safety, recruiting Johnny Manziel as a defensive back. <laughs> um, there's a spot for Malik Hornsby pretty much at any skill position or, uh, defensive back position if Mac Brown hasn't learned that lesson yet. Yeah, no, but I think yeah. I'm joking. Well, I mean, you say that. Look, Mac does have a history of questionable or weird QB controversies. Um, and it's, it goes all the way back, and we've talked about it on Slack. It goes all the way back to Major Applewhite and Chris Sims in the late 90s. So he's not immune to that. And he's already even hinted about maybe playing two or all three quarterbacks this fall. Um, until one, you know, earns away. So there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I, I know you say that jokingly, uh, but that may be closer to reality than any Tar Heel fan wants to acknowledge right now. And that's, that is definitely something to watch though. I will say, I don't think I, when I was looking up film of Hornsby, I saw him anywhere other than quarterback. So, you know, it, it's a long way away, but it feels, it, it feels like something that maybe that, Either the lesson's been learned or it's not really something to be receptive to or it's just something we couldn't do. I mean, uh, Hornsby does kind of give you that Anthony Ratliff Williams vibe where he could be a stud at receiver, except he could be a lot better than Ratliff Williams ever proved to be at UNC as a quarterback or as a receiver for that matter. And he's got much better film than Ratliff Williams had at quarterback. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Hornsby's the type of guy that if, 
he actually took the two years to develop in the system, he could be an absolute Heisman contender. I mean, the, the dude's a stud. So, you know, we're, we're just going to have to see how that plays out. But Galaxy braining it real quick. Jace Reuter to Vinebacker. Malik Hornsby to Rangy uh, Free Safety. And then let Howell, Fortin, and uh, Cresswell fight it out. Yeah, I I, uh, I I was hoping. Go ahead. No, I, was, I, I don't. I don't even want to think about any of those scenarios. Um, but I appreciate what you're trying to go with that. And it's definitely a galaxy brain hot take there. Yes, I agree with that part of it. Well, uh, I, I was I, the guy who not too much at quarterback. I think. Yeah, I, I think I would rather have all five of them on campus as quarterbacks and. You know, if two or three of them transfer and go on to success, that's not a problem. But it's five guys that I've, outside of Trubisky and Marquise, I have not been excited about a quarterback at UNC in a very, you know, well, I guess throw Bryn Renner on that list and then they are somewhere between one and eight as far as quarterbacks I'm excited to see on the field go uh, within the past 15 years. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, there was after Mitch, and Mitch kind of fell to North Carolina after some other quarterback dominoes fell around the country. Um, so I won't say they lucked into him, but they were fortunate. Uh, and then you know there was nothing that came in. There were some high profile misses, uh, and there was probably some poor evaluation uh, by the previous staff, and it led to a huge gap. So um, you know. I would agree that at the very least we are excited about the quarterback position as where as far as the competition is one of optimism, whereas last year and the year before it was, dear God, please have that somebody be able to be normal. Um, and so I think it's two very different feelings, uh, which is a good thing. I'm not going to go back into the old podcast feed, but I'm pretty sure there are multiple uh, episodes, Jake, where you and I debated talking each other into – Chaz Surratt and Nathan Elliott last year. Oh, 100%. Um, and I love Chaz. I mean, he was, he was the Gatorade player of the year and, or the Braid All American, or he had a couple different awards. Um, but also, I mean, neither one of them were to the level of what North Carolina has on the roster now. So, um, yeah, we fell victim to that too. So I'll own that. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, I think. Five guys UNC either has committed or on the roster right now each has a chance to be the best quarterback UNC, have the best quarterback career that UNC's had in the past decade, which is just unreal to say. I would take that a step further. I mean, they all have a chance to have the best UNC career ever because if you look at a career you probably go TJ Yates because he had the opportunity to start for four years and yeah, shattered every record. Like, that's about it, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably something to all of that. Uh, I mean, if you want to go back to uh, excitement, maybe go back to uh, Durant, Darian Durant, uh, in, in his in his stint when him and Curry kind of went back and forth a little bit. Um, and then Durant eventually took over once Curry left. Um, that's, that's what I remember being excited. I, I guess from an excitement factor, I think these guys have the athleticism 
to do that on multiple levels um, and probably more of a complete package than any of the other quarterbacks we've had in North Carolina. The potential is there. Whether or not they live up to it, of course, remains to be seen. And the biggest thing is it's going to come down to is just evaluation and massaging personalities uh, with Phil Longo and the rest of the offensive staff because you probably have three – I mean, you know, w- without – any of these guys really playing meaningful reps in college yet, you probably have three guys that have theoretical NFL potential at least as quarterbacks. It's just a matter of figuring out which of those guys is actually going to harness that and not having a miss, not watching, you know, the one who, the the odd man out ending up at Oklahoma and winning a Heisman, which they are want to do. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's it's just a good problem to have because I, I know the uh, Inside Carolina podcast, they did a thing where they tried to rank uh, the quarterbacks based on their college careers, which is extremely premature in my opinion. But it just brings up an interesting point that if you look at the recruiting rankings and you look at just the talent all five of these guys have, there's so much to like about all of them that I wouldn't want to be in the position to have to make that decision. I would agree with all of that. And we are, we are living in a weird time for North Carolina football because I don't know that, I don't remember the last time that has been a, a problem, um, in North Carolina. And, uh, it was talked about the past couple of years and we talked about it about with Elliott and Surratt. And there's usually always been an answer at quarterback. You know, Yates was there, um, and then Renner was there and then Williams was there and then Mitch was there. Uh, so very rarely has there not been an answer. And we're now going into the third year of not knowing. Uh, what is there at the quarterback position? Um, and I think well, that is kind of where, I mean, we know, we know what talent is there, but we don't know who's going to step up and we don't know what's going to, what's going to manifest on the field. Um, and so it's just kind of, it's kind of weird knowing that we, we can be excited about it this year. Yeah. I mean, that, it, that was definitely a good run. And I think we're going to look back at that. I, well, I hope I'm wrong, but that was a golden age of UNC quarterbacking because before that, after Darian Durant, you had, a very good year from Matt Baker and then, Jesus, uh, Joe Daly, Cam Sexton, Mike Paulus. Um, they all tried and failed to certain extents. Uh, BJ Phillips, Nick Cangelosi, out who, I don't think he ever actually played at UNC. So shout out to Nick Cangelosi. But before, before <laughs> Yates took the reins, I mean, it, it, it was, um, you know, there was, there was a little bit of a delta there. So maybe UNC gets, Six good years out of Curry and Durant, then ha- then crawls through the darkness for a couple of years. Gets ten good years out of Yates, Renner, Williams, and Trubisky, and then crawls through the darkness for a couple of years. So now we're due for fourteen good years of quarterback play. That's how it works. I like I like your math. I, I am on board with that. I'm down. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, um, we do have one more commit to uh, talk about here. It is uh, Gastonia, North Carolina, down in my neck of the woods. Safety Dontavius Nash. Uh, he is a 2021 guy, the first 2021 commit for the UNC coaching staff. A four-star guy already on 247, which it's always impressive to get uh, that acclaim coming out of your sophomore year. Um, Akil, I actually did watch some film on him, but if I did, I know you did too. Six two, uh, one seventy five at this point. What what what's your take on him? He he's rangy. I, I I like him a lot as a defensive back, which I believe is what UNC has him recruited as. Um, yeah, that's all I got. He's rangy. He hits hard. 
he's he was being recruited by as a receiver by some schools I know, so I think he's got good ball skills. Yeah, there's you know top twenty athlete in the nation. What's not to like? There's nothing not to like, and this was going to go back to my uh, fedora shoe, shoehorning thing. Remember how every UNC defensive back for the past like five or six years has been between five ten and six feet tall and between one hundred and eighty and two hundred and five pounds. <laughs> it seems like that, yes. Yeah, I I mean, my favorite uh football player to watch was Sean Taylor, bar none. He was a six five safety. Um I love a good rangy safety. I'm hoping DJ Ford, uh coming off of injuries, can become that in uh Bateman scheme this year. But a guy who can win more fifty fifty balls and a kill, you bring up a great point about uh his ball skills. But, you know, it's, it, it helps against Hail Marys. It helps against, uh, four verts. It helps just having that size. You know, if you're in a cover three and somebody tries to split it with a seam route or anything, and I can tell I'm a little bit slow on my uh, football terminology right now here in the offseason, but you know, that, that's just a guy that, you know, if, if he puts on weight at 16 years old, he, becomes a fast linebacker, and that is a good problem to have. Uh, Jake, what's your kind of initial takeaway on Dontavious Nash? And I'm, I'm just going to steal your thunder real quick. He said, yeah, I'm recruiting every guy in this state, which is all, which well, is an awesome mindset to have for a guy 18 months away from signing day. Well, you, you beat me to it. Um, I, I, I don't care a whole lot about what he brings to the field because that's going to fluctuate in the next couple of years, and I'll figure that out when he gets there. The The, the key thing is he's an in-state kid. He committed a year and a half before he's going to sign. It's a huge jump on the 2021 class, uh, and it gives you a key recruiter inside the state to start working on that class while they, while the staff finishes 2020. Um, and, uh, it cannot be understated the, the effect and impact that it, that these, that these recruits have on classmates, teammates, uh, other recruits within the region. Uh, and that's the big thing there is it's a four star athlete. Who's going to start doing your bidding, uh, during the season at the summer camps and all of that. Uh, and, uh, it should be said that with going back to Boaz real quick, he was the seventh North Carolina high school athlete to, to commit to North Carolina this year. They still have, uh, roughly eight more spots to give over, over the coming months. Um, last year's entire recruiting class only had 10 North Carolina athletes in it. So Mac has made an effort for North Carolina, and I think you're going to see that become even bigger in 2021 as this gains momentum, provided there is some success this upcoming year. And I well, think that is why Nash is so is so important. Well, I, I think uh Brown's impact has been immediate if you just look at how many North Carolina commitments UNC had when Mac Brown took over, because Welton Spotsville was the only top 50 guy in the I was about to drop an F-bomb and uh, push this to explicit. <laughs> um, he was the only guy in the top 50 of the freaking state that was committed to UNC, which is just objectionable, yes. horrible, horrific. Um, in, in, insert word, metaphor, or uh, epithet here. But, yeah, Matt, Matt Brown's already made some progress on that front. We're, we're going to talk about uh, an L he took in a second, but – to have a guy, you know, with a very talented 2021 class, uh, Peyton Page is the top 10 overall player out of Greensboro that he mentioned by name, uh, that he was going to start recruiting. 
uh, Charlotte is a big little city where from Gastonia and he's at Hunter Huss High School. Shout out to Chris Lang, I believe, who is a, um, Hunter Huss <laughs> alum. Um, I believe you were correct. That's a good one. Um, but it is not out of the realm of, uh, of a day's trip to go work out with a guy like Gavin Blackwell and Monroe, uh, Sam Howell's old receiver, who's another four, borderline four or five star prospect for that class. I mean, he could really put his own stamp on his legacy at UNC before he even shows up on campus. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, just flip it over to basketball real quick. We all saw what Armando, uh, Baycott or Bacot, or I keep hearing it different ways. Armando. I'm, I'm going Baycott. Okay, let's go with Baycott. What, what, what he did for the, or what, at least what he projected himself that he did for the recruiting process behind the scenes. Um, I think that's even more important on the football side. And I, I think you absolutely nailed it. Um, uh, one pointing out the, 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 the problems of getting top North Carolina talent last year when Mac took over than what he's done immediately. Um, and then arguably potentially a better 2021 class in North Carolina than what we have in 2020. Um, and you give, you give everyone more time to build those relationships so you may not lose a couple guys who, uh, you thought you had and they sneak away outside the border. Um, and I'm teeing that up for, for our next, for our next topic. But, uh, I, I think that, that it gives you more time to build those relationships and, uh, and he knows what, you know, Nash knows what, what his mission is. Um, and, you know, he's a four star recruit and he's currently 15th in the state in his class. And again, that'll fluctuate. Uh, but that, that can't be understated that if, if he's a four star at number 15 right now, then the potential for next year's 2021 class North Carolina to be really deep, uh, is there, uh, and needs to be watched closely over the next couple of months. Damn, you, you just beat me to that. Cause Akil, I was going to ask you, you know, with him being a four star, but not necessarily, you know, way up in the state rankings, how well does that portend for the state of North Carolina as a whole? And, you know, are are you buying into this uh, little diatribe Jake and I just went on that he can start to solidify in-state recruits for that class? Yeah, I mean, studs no studs, and the Charlotte area is where they collect in North Carolina, so can confirm. He's got a lot of company, and you know, if he's already made it his mission to recruit every player he knows, then that's going to bring a lot of good stuff to UNC hopefully. Well, uh, Charlotte, uh, broke our hearts a little bit on Friday. So we're, we're gonna work towards the end of this thing on a downer. Um, Trenton Simpson, longtime UNC lean. I think we had basically penciled him into the class. Uh, UNC was the first school to offer him. UNC was the first school to see him as a linebacker as opposed to his previously preferred position of running back where he was maybe a G5 caliber running back. Um, now he's a top 50 overall recruit in the country as a linebacker. He took an official visit to Auburn, ghosted the UNC coaching staff, and committed to suburban Opelika on Friday night. Akil, how big of a loss is this? It it, it hurts. You, like, you had a guy who was reported as, you know, you might as well lock it in for UNC because he's visited UNC and basically no other school every month for like six months. That was the kind of relationship that you, we thought he had with UNC. And then, you know, in a couple of months, start losing communication and you lose him to an out-of-state SEC school. That's, you know, not exactly the picture of stability itself right now. It's a big loss. 
and at a position of need too. It's it's rough. Yeah, uh, Jake. I mean, to you, you know, he he had official visit signed up to Georgia the next week, and uh, then was planning on taking a visit to North Carolina on an official uh, sometime in the fall after he had announced his commitment, which seemed to just bode extremely well for the heels. Maybe there's a shot that he still takes that visit and things change. But how much do we just need to cheer against uh, the Auburn project? Uh, you always cheer against Auburn. I'm sick of them. Uh, but uh, I think what helps here uh, to, to lighten the blow a little bit is that he went outside the state. He didn't go to NC State. He didn't go to Duke. He didn't go to South Carolina. He didn't go to Virginia Tech. Um, so uh, he went away from some of the more recent and longstanding um, schools that have uh, fought North Carolina for top-tier recruits. And I think he also uh, hit on it, too, is that he still has official visits left. Uh, and if he made his decision after one visit, uh, congratulations to him. He found a place that, that he wants to call home. Uh, but it also, we've seen how, how college football flips on a dime. And if that program struggles and that coach struggles, um, I don't think that it will be unrealistic to get your hopes up a little bit come the fall, uh, that a flip could happen. Um, unless there's something that happened behind the scenes that we don't know about, uh, unless there are, reasons that communication popped off uh, or cut down, all of those that, you know, we're not privy to. Uh, but from an outsider's perspective, uh, I don't think that, um, I don't think that, you know, until the ink is dry, uh, there's always, there's always that chance. It's just something to watch. Uh, but it is a big loss as far as everyone thought that he was coming. He, all the crystal balls and fan casts had him coming to North Carolina, um, you know, and then, you know, 18 year old kids are going to make 18 year old kid decisions. Um, and, and more power to them. And then we move on to the next one. Yeah. I, I will say with, uh, Auburn's schedule and, you know, they obviously play Georgia and Alabama every year and then play the SEC West, which includes LSU and what's going to be a good Mississippi State team and a good Texas A&M. And they open with Oregon. Um, Auburn basically fan base wise, having experienced a whole lot of, uh, Auburn in my time in Atlanta, Georgia. They are NC State with some track record of success. So if Gus Malzahn goes seven and five, I don't see him keeping his job. And that could reopen this thing. But, um, I think you did a nice job, Jake, uh, kind of dancing around it. We, you know, we, we don't know everything that went into this and we're, we're not going to openly speculate on this podcast. Uh, just, you know, it's Auburn. It's Auburn. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm, it is Auburn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, props to Auburn. They have kicked our asses up and down in football, uh, baseball and basketball here in the past two months. So maybe in Atlanta, Georgia on September 7th, 2020, we, uh, exact a little revenge. Uh, good Lord, that hurt. Um, UNC also lost an offensive lineman and this kind of contributes to our speculation that Boaz could be an offensive tackle, uh, Timothy Lawson came out and named UNC his leader a week ago and then committed to Louisville, who prior to that had been his leader. Um, Jake, you were all over this one. So what, what was your takeaway on that? Because, well, honestly, you were the first person to hit our Slack channel about it. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say I was all over it. I was just the quickest to Twitter that day. Um, I mean, you know, you're going to lose battles. Uh, he's, you know, the staff wanted him, so as a fan, I wanted him. Uh, it's a little bit weird to come out to say the North Carolina is your leader after the visit, and then less than, you know, seven days later, you flip back to Louisville. But, you know, that's why kids go through the recruiting process, and he's an offensive lineman. There are a lot of those out there, um, and a lot of times those take the longest to develop. So, I'm sure there are plenty of other projects out there uh, that the coaching staff has identified. Uh, it always hurts to be rejected, but you know, uh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. So uh, I, I'm not, I'm not too torn up about it. Yeah, Akil. I mean, it is a position where you kind of rely on senior film to see how guys develop, to see how large human beings adopt to their adapt to their body. Would you say that this might be a blessing in disguise? Just in that UNC can monitor and build some relationships with uh, guys who are not currently on the radar? I mean, it could be. Like, lo- losing a recruiting battle is never good, but, you know, you, you you can find other guys with about that recruiting ranking. You know, um, you can, we, UNC's already got a couple of good offensive line commits and a few more offers out. So I think yeah, th- they'll be able to pretty easily replace him. He's not the kind of, like, He's not the kind of blow I think Simpson is. This is turned his talent and like the relationship that they have with. Yeah, I would say 100%, you know, from a talent, from a current roster construction standpoint, uh, UNC has a lot of redshirt freshman offensive linemen. Um, just signed a full class of them in the 2019 cycle as well. So I'm not feeling the hurt as much on this one, but you know, it's never good. Um, they always say end on a positive, so Akil, I'm just going to throw these stats at you. UNC is ninth in the country in recruiting rankings right now. They are fourth in the ACC in um, average commit behind Clemson, Miami, and Florida State, and that is based on a lot of recent uh, commitments who have not really been evaluated by all the services yet. And they are third in the ACC overall in class rankings. How awesome is that? That's pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, Max, like a lot of people are going to kind of poo-poo it and say it's like a quantity over quality thing, but just the fact that he's been able to form relationships so tight and get that quantity to commit, like, and, and it's good players too. It's not like he's filling up a roster with borderline three stars or anything like that. Like he's getting good players and he's getting them to commit early and it's just showing, I guess, the power of him and his staff as recruiters that they can get guys to attach to the school so quickly and it just bodes well for them to be being able to continue to hit on a lot of the guys that they want to in future years. Yeah, I understand the uh, quantity argument to an extent, but Clemson has 18 guys. Um, they're running away with number one with a historic class. Uh, Miami has 17 and Florida State has 15. UNC is saying there are 17 guys. So, I mean, it's, it's not like they've taken 17 warm bodies. Uh, Jake, any kind of takeaways on that as we close up? Uh, you nailed it with the evaluations. I think that, I think some of that will, will work itself out and you'll see a, a small bump. Uh, but there's also a couple big targets out there, uh, within even the state of North Carolina that they're going after, uh, that could easily raise that as well. So they're not done. Um, the, and Akil, you're absolutely right. You know, if there's something to be said for having the majority of your class locked up before the season even starts compared to what we've seen the last four or five years where North Carolina only had 10 or 12 recruits going into, you know, going into the season. Uh, 
Uh, and then you have to spend that, you have to spend that, that time recruiting just for the very next year. This puts them now ahead for the 2021 class once December comes around. Um, and I think that is an understated benefit from what Mac was able to watch when, when he was sitting out. Uh, he saw kind of how this early signing recruiting, uh, period was going to affect the recruiting classes a little bit. Um, he didn't have to live it. He could just watch it. Uh, and I think that he has used that to his advantage and understands how important it is to lock up as much as you can, as early as you can. And you let, you, you let the rest work out. Um, and I think that's, I think that's where, that's where he's really providing some value there. Cause he's going to let him get a jump on 2021, uh, the way some of the, the, the top schools do. And he's not scrambling to fill in next spring, uh, the way Carolina has done for the last four years. You bring up a really interesting point there because Max always had, you know, 15 to 20 guys really coming out of the spring no later than the summer at Texas. Um, but what it does is create that cascading effect to where you can start working on the 2021 class. And unlike the previous regime, I mean, you know, the cachet that he has shown in pulling in 17 guys for this class roughly in six months, if he does get that head start, you know, he, he, he's he got the charisma, he's got the staff, and he's got the playing time to pitch to where 2021 could be ridiculous. But the other thing it does, and, you know, we can close on this, is it really allows them to focus their efforts on the elite guys that are still on the board for the 2020 class. And 100%. You know, we, and we would be remiss not to mention one more time, Des Evans was back on campus for the third time in a week this week. Uh Ke- Kedrick Bingley Jones is deciding here in a month or two, uh, two very key recruits on the defensive line. If, if they get to those two guys and add nothing else to this class, I will be ecstatic. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, that, that would, I, th- I think even if you didn't have anyone else, I still think that would be the best class that North Carolina has had since 2009. Um, and I don't think that's a huge exaggeration. Um, I think it puts them right up there just with, even if that was the only 19 recruits they had. Um, based on, based on all the scores right now. So you're right on target with that. And for those who don't know, Des Evans is the number two defensive end in the country. Uh, and he's a five star in the state of North Carolina. So we keep throwing his name out. Um, but he is massive for multiple reasons. Yeah. When, when in doubt, if you're, uh, just, um, listening to us and aren't really following too much recruiting, just jump on the, just Google 247 sports composite and that's, Literally what we're reading off of, uh, that's where we get our crystal balls. That is, um, a free service. So it is fun to follow. Akil, any closing thoughts? Cause I feel like Jake wrapped it up, uh, put a bow on it nicely, but I'm going to let you have the final word, fi- uh, final word as I can't talk. Yeah. I mean, that about sums it up. Getting those two guys would be massive for the class and it would probably, like, it would get a nice bow on it, but I think. You, you could probably have that 19 person class and you can have it for 25 and that would probably still be the 26 person class essentially with six spots left. It, it, Des Evans could be a Trojan recruit because like I said, like Mark said, I'm, I'd be shocked if there was an elite player that could have stood out who didn't, you know, react a little, who wouldn't react a little above above anyone else in this class that didn't have to go anywhere. It, it, it's got, it, it, it would make those. Yeah, and I'll just uh, leave this little uh, thing floating. Um, by the time this posts, there's a good chance that one of Des Evans' high school teammates will be a UNC commit. Uh, Jaden Chalmers just got an offer from UNC. Um, 
He's probably the best cornerback in the state. So another position of relative need for the heels. So that could be good. Uh, Akil, what do you have coming to tarheelblog.com, the site that hosts this fair podcast, uh, this coming week? Um, nothing huge. I might do some summer filler, like take a look at UMP sports and pop songs or, but you know, keep along with my recruiting updates. I don't know if I'll have one this week, but definitely throughout the summer and throughout the year. Well, I mean, if you want to just uh, get a cheap post, you can just link up to this podcast. Uh, Jake, what about yourself? Uh, I'm going to steal some of the recruiting thunder from our weekly updates, uh, and I'm going to uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Uh, I've got uh, a piece wrapping up the Showtime camp, which replaced the Freak Show, which is where a lot of this podcast came from. Uh, and then later this week, I will have an overall recap of the NBA draft once all three Tar Heels get drafted in the first round. Yep, and I am already on the uh, books with our good friend Brendan Anderson to record podcasts basically as soon as we are comfortable that none of Nasir Little, Kobe White, and Cam Johnson are going to be traded after they are drafted on Thursday night. So, <laughs> well, I mean... You know, we, we, we talked about, uh, doing based on individual pick as soon as they were picked. I was like, man, you know, Adam Silver is going to come up and announce that there has been a trade at like pick nine as soon as Kobe has been picked and Nasir's coming off the board and they're going to get traded for each other with some uh, other moving parts. And then if Cam Johnson's anywhere from 15 to 20, you know, that's probably safe. But if he falls below that, that is prime you know, gets traded for the international rights to some guy we'll never hear of range. So we're, we're, we're just going to play it safe and uh, have a couple of bourbons and record it about, well, I'm going to have a couple of bourbons and record it about 1030. So that, that's what I've got. But um, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a five-star review. Hit us on the comments on the post on tarheelblog.com if you have any questions. It is the middle of June. There is going to be precious little to talk about for the next month and a half. So anything you want us to touch on on the pod, go ahead. Um, I sent out a mailbag call that got precious little results. Uh, just one asking which Ninja Turtle would uh, win in a fight, which we will touch on at a later date. I have a lot of thoughts on that, Chad. Okay, we have 15 minutes of content coming for you about which Ninja Turtle would win in a fight. Um, I am also a Ninja Turtle connoisseur, so Jake and I will be back to talk about that. But until next time, keep it locked, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and go Heels.